Okay, this morning I would like to, to take a theme that we found in the lesson this morning and sort of follow on with it. And I didn't, I didn't do that intentionally. It's one of those situations where as the week went on, uh, Kim was, was preparing to teach the women's class and so we'd, we had a little conversation about that and I, I noticed that some of the themes that were in the Sunday school lesson uh, were similar to what I was thinking about presenting this morning. So I think that's good and well. But some time ago, I was asked to, to give a weekend meetings down in Barnwell, South Carolina, and that was quite some time ago, but that time is, is quickly coming along. I'm supposed to share a weekend meetings in April there at Barnwell, South Carolina, on the theme of a worshiping life, a worshiping life. And so I've been doing some thinking and, and reading and preparing for that, and it's getting to that time where I, I need to start putting more focused effort in that direction. So in the next few months, you'll probably be hearing some here at Ebenezer about a worshiping life uh, from some of my, my thoughts and preparation as I put into that. So this morning, we would like to think specifically about what is worship, and, and that's not necessarily one of the subjects or one of the titles for that weekend, but, but as I've been thinking about the theme of worship, the subject of worship, it's very foundational for us to think about what is worship? And so we'll use that for a title this morning at least. What is worship? Now, worship is something that we often talk about in our churches. Uh, worship is something that we certainly encourage in our churches. Uh, here not too long ago, in, in our Southeastern Conference, we, we talked quite a bit about uh, worship and forms of worship. There was a paper that was worked on and, and that was passed out and was discussed, uh, forms of worship. And so it's something that we definitely have, have talked about uh, more extensively here recently. But I, we believe that we do worship when we come to church. We believe we do. And I would say that I believe we usually do. <laughs> but if we are really honest with ourselves, we would probably have to say that there's times when we don't. There's times when we don't always worship when we come to church. Maybe that's a surprise to you. I don't know. I hope that's not the case, but yet we are human, and there's times that, that we come because it's what we do on Sundays. We go to church. We, we are, we're going to the house of worship. This is where we worship. Well, but what is worship? What is worship? And so that's what we'd like to think about some this morning. You see, things like going to church and, and singing and and preaching, and praying, and teaching Sunday school, they are not by themselves worship. Now, they certainly may, may serve to stimulate worship, I believe so, and they may be done certainly in the spirit of worship, but they, those things are not worship in and of themselves. And once again, maybe that's a surprise to some of us. You know, maybe we thought that these, these things are worship. 
But what is worship? So if these things uh, that I mentioned are not really worship, what are we talking about when we say we worship? Worship. And I think it's a good question, and it's one that we need to give uh, some time and some, some focus to as we consider this. It deserves certainly some of our time and focus. What is worship? Because I believe that as Christians, if we don't have this right, uh, then we're being deceived. And I, and I fear that there's many uh, professing Christians this morning that are living in this state. They are doing the right things. They're going through the right uh, motions of worship, as it were. Uh, they're going to church. Uh, they're putting money in the offering. Uh, they're involved in the work of the church. And they think that God should be pleased because they're worshiping, aren't they? But yet there is something very important that is missing. And I would say that it is that everyday commitment and, and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You, you know, we have, a, we have a name for people like that. Or there's one name that came to my mind. Is that is Sunday Christians. Sunday Christians. That, that they go to church on Sunday... And, and they go through the motions. They, they may look like a Christian on Sunday. But throughout the week, their life is not lived in, in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, as we think about this this morning, in, in the next few months possibly, it's my desire to stir within us a, a deeper passion and commitment to live a life of worship. Every day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a life of worship. You see, worship that truly honors God is one that encompasses all of our being. Everything that we have. Every day of the week. That's worship that truly honors God. I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with one of the scribes. Turn to Mark chapter 12. Jesus had this conversation with one of the scribes. And although the word worship is not found here, at least as we know it, there is that idea. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. 
and to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love His neighbor as Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered discreetly, He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you have a good understanding. But I note there in verse 33 that this scribe understood that there was a deeper priority in life There was a deeper purpose in life than the outer. He said he realized that that attitude, the inner attitude of loving God with everything you have was greater and of more importance than going through the motions of worship, as it were. He understood that. And there's others in the Old Testament that understood the same as well. David understood that too. One of the places, one of the Psalms, he says something similar that that doing the will of God or, or, or something like that is greater than sacrifices, something to that nature. This scribe understood that well. I believe Jesus would say, yes. Scribe, that is the kind of worship I'm looking for. That is the kind of worship that pleases the Father. Loving God with with everything that you have. It's a worship that encompasses all of your being. And in John chapter 4, Jesus told the woman at the well that the Father was looking for people just like that. The Father was looking for those kind of worshipers, uh, people who worship in spirit and in truth. Turn to that passage, John chapter 4, and perhaps this could be sort of like a text for this morning, although we'll be looking at some different places in Scripture. John chapter 4, some more familiar verses when it comes to the subject of worship. And we'll sort of break in here on this conversation that Jesus had with the woman there at the well. Uh, Let's start here at verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We'll stop there. Worshiping the Father in spirit and And in truth, Jesus said, that's the kind of people the Father is looking for. What does it mean to worship in spirit and to worship in truth? And in my studying, I noted uh, the words here of of two commentators, 
uh, from years gone by. Uh, First of all, Albert Barnes. I want to read you just a little bit of what he had to say about these things. First of all, he defines true worshipers as those who truly and sincerely worship God. They do it with the heart and not merely in form. And then he says, the word spirit here stands opposed to rites and ceremonies and to the pomp of external worship. It refers to the mind, the soul, the heart. They shall worship God with a sincere mind, with the simple offering of gratitude and prayer, with a desire to glorify Him, and without external pomp and splendor. Spiritual worship is that where the heart is offered to God and where we do not depend on external forms for acceptance. That's worshiping in spirit. Not depending on the outer, but it's a worship that is an attitude of the heart, and certainly, yes, it affects our outer form of worship. It does. But it is alive and vibrant in the heart, first of all. Adam Clark had this to say, A man worships God in spirit when under the influence of the Holy Ghost he brings all his affections, his appetites, and his desires to the throne of God. And he worships him in truth when every purpose and passion of his heart and when every act of his religious worship, there it is, that's the outer, is guided and regulated by the word of God. When every purpose and passion of his heart and every act of his religious worship is regulated and guided by the word of God. Spirit and truth, to worship in spirit and in truth, speaks of an inner and an outer. Or we could say, worshiping in spirit and in fact or in reality We're talking about a worship experience that that is from the inside out. You see, there there are forms of worship that that are displays of worship, you could say. It's an outer worship. But does God accept worship like that? Is that really worship in God's eyes? And I say, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because God is looking for a change of attitude. God is looking for a soul, a spirit that is bowing in submission to Him, that sees Him as He truly is, that sees that the, the person sees themselves as they truly are, and then flowing out of that attitude of the heart is then, yes, outward displays of worship to God. But it starts from the inside. It's an experience that encompasses all of us, all of who I am. And Jesus said, that's who the Father is looking for. The Father is looking for worshipers just like that. That worship in spirit and in truth, or in reality, in fact. Now in this passage here in John chapter 4, just call your attention to that word worship. In the five verses that I read... That word worship uh, appears in some form ten times. And each time it is the same Greek word proskuneo. proskuneo. I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, so uh, 
If you know how to say it better, help yourself. But this word literally means to kiss toward. (laughs) Interesting. To kiss toward. Now, what does that have to do with anything, you might say? It's referring to that ancient uh, tradition of a person kissing the hand of someone superior to them. Maybe you've seen a picture of that from years gone by. Where a person, a person will, will meet someone of, of high esteem and they'll kneel down and they'll kiss their hand. They'll bow and they'll, they'll kiss the hand of that person who is superior to them. Who they hold in, in high esteem. That's where that word comes from. It means to kiss toward. That word proskuneo uh, was also used in the sense of bowing down, of, of prostrating oneself. It's, it's a picture of submission. A sense of, of looking at that person with awe and respect and honor. I also found it interesting that this word was used to speak of a dog licking his master's hand. And you may have seen that. Maybe your dog has done it to you. Our dog might have used to, but sadly it doesn't anymore. But uh, a dog licking his master's hand. Um, And and that's a picture of trust. Uh, That's a, a picture of respect. A picture of honor. Now, our modern day English word worship uh, comes from two old English words. And the first one is spelled W-E-O-R-T-H. So, worth, just an older form of worth. And then Skype or ship, S-C-I-P-E, Skype or ship, S-H-I-P. Now, ship is the one that, that we would be more familiar with. But worth, the old English worth, of course, has that meaning of worth, of worthiness. And Skype or ship has the meaning of, of shape or quality. Now, we can see that, that old English word ship in modern words like friendship or sportsmanship. In other words, it's the quality of, of being friendly or the quality of, of being a good sport. It, it has that idea. The shape or quality. So, worthship is the quality of having worth or the quality of being worthy. Worthship. So, when we worship, uh, we are basically saying, God, you are worthy. God, you have worth. You're worthy. Worship means to declare. Worth, or we could say to give credit where credit is due. Putting it in biblical terms, we give God praise. We give God honor. Uh, We speak or we sing about how good and, and powerful our God is. And we live in a way that tells of Jesus. Our life tells of Jesus. That's giving God worth. That's saying that he's worthy. I note that this is the purpose, after all, that we have been called. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, we read this. But ye are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called out, we have been set aside, as it were, for the purpose of showing forth the praises of God. We were called for the purpose of praising God, of worshiping God. We could say that's one of the job descriptions of the Christian, to give God praise. Declaring that God is worthy. Declaring that that God is worth more than, than everything else. He's worth more to us than anything else that we have. Everything else put together, you could say. So I say once again, I ask us, what is worship? And we would have to conclude that one of the things that worship is, is worship is giving. Worship is giving. Essentially, it is giving respect and honor to God. And hopefully that's the reason that you are here today. To give respect and honor and glory to God. Now, perhaps you've heard that phrase before. Uh, we're here. Uh, we're here to get a blessing. There it is. We're here to get a blessing. And and I I, I thought that sounded really good for for many years, and it still sounds nice. <laughs> but I've started seeing that in a little different way. Now, certainly, when we come and gather together. I believe the Lord will bless that. And I believe we will receive a blessing. But yet, as I've been studying this subject of of worship, I've realized in a fresh way that, that true worship is not about getting, but true worship is all about giving. It's about giving. Giving of ourself to God. And so although we may and we will receive a blessing from being like in a place like this and in hearing the word of God, yes, that is a blessing to our life. Yet that is not necessarily the main focus. It should not be the main focus for coming together. We worship when we give God the glory that is due his name. We are here to, to humble ourselves before our great God, and to give him the glory and honor that he is so worthy of. As we consider this, turn back to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 16. And let's look at the prayer of David. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Starting at verse uh, 23, my Bible titles this David's Psalm of Thanks, and it actually starts uh, a number of verses before this, but we'll break in here at verse 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also has to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. 
There it is. Giving. Giving to the Lord. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. The world also shall be stable that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord. You see, it's not just the people that are praising the God. It's, it's all nature is praising God as well. Because he cometh to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That's worship. That's a description of worship. When we are giving to the Lord the glory that is due Him. What does it mean? And I didn't, I didn't look into this in depth. But what does it mean to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? We find that phrase a number of different times in Scripture. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can think about that. And, and maybe you, you'll... You can study and, and, and we can talk about it later. But, but just a few thoughts that, that came to my mind. Holiness is, is an inner thing that affects the outer. God is concerned about our inner beauty. That is, that is a priority to God. It means much to Him. It ought to mean much to us. There are many that get that confused, I believe. That, that find their, their worship of the Lord is, is in the outer, in the physical things of, of, of life. It's in the clothes you wear. It's in the rituals that you do. It's in the, how the church is decorated. It's in various things like that, that that they are thinking that this is the worship of God. And it's beautiful. To the eye, it's pleasing. It looks good. To the flesh, it's, there's, there's appeal there. But we read, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I believe it, it shows the importance that God places on the heart of worship. The inner, the attitude of worship at its core. That of presenting a life that is holy and pure before God. And certainly, yes, that will shine out into the outer as well. It will. But it's an inner beauty that God is looking for that defines true worship, I believe. You know, Scripture is, is filled with this subject of worship. I mean, from, from Genesis, where we have Adam and Eve falling into sin... Because they were worshiping self, you could say, more than God. The whole way through Scripture, where, where there in, in the, the chapters of Revelation, we have a glimpse into worship in heaven. Worship that is pure. And we'll look into that just a little bit later. But the worship in heaven, uh, throughout the pages of Scripture, the, the subject of worship is, is from start to finish. It has been said that worship is the absolute 
non-negotiable of the Christian life. Worship is the absolute non-negotiable of the Christian life. In other words, the Christian must worship. We could say worship to the believer uh, is like the engine to your vehicle. I mean, your vehicle may look great. It may be shiny. On the outside, everything looks in great shape. But if it doesn't have an engine, what good is that vehicle? Uh, Worship, you could say, uh, is is like the battery in our flashlight. Once again, that flashlight looks like it it might be in the drawer all ready to go if the power goes off. But if there's not batteries in it, what good is that flashlight? And I say uh, to the Christian, maybe our worship is similar. Worship... uh, is to our spiritual lives, I believe, uh, the most important and essential element. And I note that, furthermore, God demands worship from His people. God demands it. Uh, God is a jealous God. We read that uh, here in Scripture in Exodus 34, verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's, that's a name for God that we don't think of very often. His name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In other words, worship me. Only worship me. Maybe that sounds self-centered, but God knows what's best for us. We can, we can trust him in that. And then you remember there when, when uh, Satan was tempting Jesus there in the wilderness, And Jesus said, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Worship, I say, is is essential to, to everything we are, everything we do as believers. And that is why I believe that understanding what worship really is is so vitally important for us. And so I want to give here a few possible definitions of worship. You know, what is worship? That's where we started and, and we're ending there as well. We um, are thinking once again about what is worship? What really is worship? And, and worship is one of those things that that is so difficult to adequately define. Uh, there are things in life like that. Uh, for example, you know, how do you adequately describe a gorgeous sunrise? Or or how do you tell someone about how beautiful, really, how can you adequately describe a gorgeous sunset? Or how do you adequately tell someone uh, the amazing flavor that a certain food has? Or how something smells so good? It's so hard to do that. I mean, we know what it is ourselves, but, but yet... You know, if you could just try it for yourself, if you could just try it, then you would know. Uh, Sometimes that happens there in the bake shop. People come in and say, what is Troyer's dressing? Or sometimes they'll say, like, Troyer's, Troyer's. What is Troyer's dressing? And uh, and we'll say, well, you know, it's a a homemade dressing. It's a mayonnaise base. It has different sugars and spices. And, hmm, yeah. And then we'll say, would you like to try it? Oh, yeah, I'll try it, yeah. And so we'll give them a little bit, "Mm, yeah, I'll take Troyer's dressing. You know, the same with the Cajun crab dip or something that, you know, How do you describe it? You know, I can't tell them what it's going to taste like necessarily. I can give some hints. 
But, but they have to experience it to really know. And I believe worship is like that in a lot of ways, that it's better experienced uh, than it is defined. But yet this morning we're going to try <laughs> to give some definitions that, that, help, that help our understanding, I believe, of what worship is. In my study, one of the best definitions that, that I believe I have read was written by William Temple, who was an archbishop of Canterbury. And this is what he said. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open the heart to the love of God. To devote the will to the purposes of God. And all this gathered up in adoration is the greatest of human expressions of which we are capable. Once again, it, it's, a, it's a definition that encompasses all of us. All of who we are. Our, our whole being. Warren Wearsby defines worship as the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. The believer's response of all that they are to all that God is and says and does. And as I pondered these words, Romans 12, verse 1, came to mind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The NIV reads it this way, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship. He doesn't mention in that verse how you're dressing on Sunday. He's not mentioning the physical things. He's talking about the inner, the inner man presenting your body. Now certainly, don't get me wrong, those things factor in. And actually in the next verse, in, in verse 2, it talks about how you need to be transformed from the inside out. But um, it's talking about an inner attitude, which is your spiritual act of worship. Why was he saying, therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy? He was saying that because in the chapters leading up to chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about the state of man, the spiritual state of man, and how we were lost, and how we cannot help ourselves, and how God came on the scene and is the one who gives us victory over sin and helps us to live in, in assurance of salvation. And then in the end of verse chapter 11, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable and so forth. He talks about the great mercy and, and the understanding of God in, in, in bringing these things about, of, of bringing a, a means of escape for us, as it were. And he also mentions in chapter 12 that we as, as Gentiles, salvation wasn't originally for us, as it were. It was for the Jews. But praise the Lord, we now are offered salvation as well. 
And so then he begins chapter 12 by saying, Brothers, I urge you, in view of the mercy of God, give yourself to him. All that you are, give yourself to him as a living sacrifice. It's your spiritual act of worship. To me, that, that helps give some understanding to what is worship. You see, it has also to do with perspective. Perspective in life. Seeing God as He really is, as the Deliverer, as the One who is so worthy, seeing ourselves as we are, knowing that without God, we're, we're nothing. We can't save ourselves. But God in His mercy... Has, has reached down and saved us. And so out of a heart of gratitude, I worship Him. I give myself back to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. I would like to share just a couple uh, definitions of worship yet that I came across. And now these are simply man's attempts. Uh, you know, in, in the Bible, we don't read... We don't have a number of places where it says, worship is blah, blah, blah. You know, worship is... No, we don't have that necessarily. And so, uh, there have been those who have, in light of God's word, have, have written some, maybe some, some possible definitions for worship, as we already looked at a little bit. And I'd like to mention two more, and then look at them in light of God's word, and I believe that will help give us understanding here. Worship is the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. Worship is the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. In other words, worship is often a spontaneous event. The key word there is the overflow of a grateful heart. True worship, I say, does not have to be... uh, Pumped or or primed, as it were. No, it doesn't. But it is the outpouring of a heart that is filled with the sense of of God's goodness and God's greatness, God's glory. This is a person who, who has experienced the work and the hand of God in their life. And springing out of that experience is an attitude of gratitude, saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can feel your presence in my life, and and you've helped me. You've blessed me. And I say, that's worship. That is worship. That spontaneous response of thanks to God for the work that he is doing in our life. Uh, David, the psalmist David, often often, uh, spoke of that and wrote of that. Uh, There in Psalm 23, we go down through Psalm 23, and we see how God is our shepherd and what he does for us and how he leads us through life. And there in verse 5 we read, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. (laughs) It's the idea of of David saying, Lord, I am just so, I'm just overflowing with thanks to you for the way you lead me in life, for the way you bring me through the valleys. For the way you meet my needs, my cup runneth over. I believe David was worshiping as he penned those words. He was worshiping. 
And then here is another. Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even its blessings, but with God himself. Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with its blessings, but with God himself. You know, far too often, our praying and our thinking, I would say, are occupied with self. I find that in my life. Uh, perhaps you're above that, and praise the Lord. But in my life, I, uh, my prayers and my thinking uh, too often are centered around my desires and, and my goals and the things I want to do. And, you know, is it not true that we often come to church to get a blessing, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier? Is it not true that we often pray to God because we have a need? Is it not true that we often worship because what we can get out of it? I see those things in my life. And you see, we are brought back to the truth again that genuine worship is not about getting, but genuine worship is truly about giving. It's about giving God the glory that he is so worthy of. And we could look at those passages in in Revelation we want. But in Revelation there's different glimpses into the praises and the worship of heaven. Where the people are are praising God and the creatures are praising God. And and worthy is the lamb that was slain and giving him glory and blessing and honor. And you know in those those, uh, glimpses... You can note this sometime, that there's no request being made at all. No request. These, these individuals are not thinking about themselves. All the worship is, is pure worship directed right to God for who he is as a person and for what he has done. That's pure worship. And it's a, it's a challenge to me as I consider my worship this morning. Well, let me just leave you uh, with a thought. And that is that everybody worships... Something or someone. Everybody worships something or someone. Everybody gives honor or respect or adoration uh, to a certain thing or person. That's how we're created. That's how we're designed. And so I ask you this morning, uh, to whom or, or to what do you give worship? How is it with you? Is your worship God-focused? Or is your worship focused on self and on your personal desires and agenda? What about your worship this morning? Jesus said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such To worship him. You know, God is looking for worshipers like that. God is looking for worshipers who are sincere in the inner being of their heart. Have a desire to give God the glory that he deserves through how they live their life. Starting from their heart and then reaching out through uh, through the outer physical things of life. God's looking for people like that, and I trust that can be you this morning in the coming days. Let's sing a song together.
Number 139. Number 139. Uh, Verse 3 in particular stood out to me uh, in this song. It says, Fear not to enter his courts in the slenderness of the poor wealth that thou wouldest reckon as thine. Truth in its beauty and love and its tenderness. You know, sometimes as we think about God, uh, it feels like we have so little. Uh, our, it, it uses the term here, poor wealth. Uh, but we can still bring those, as verse 4 says, in trembling and fearfulness. Uh, he desires to have that of us. Number 139. Worship the Lord. 